0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this This is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Here's your host, Christian Tervish.
1: Welcome to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tervish, and we're here for you every Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by replays throughout the week. The purpose of my show is to explore how work will change in times of globalization and digitization. I want to understand the work of tomorrow, hence the title of the show. When I grew up in Germany, the mail, including letters and packages, were delivered by a yellow truck or often by a yellow bicycle. Both were owned by the German mail. In German, we call this die Deutsche Post. I have particularly fond memories of the German Post as I participated in the 1989 Deutsche Post Marathon in Bonn, which was the former capital of Germany, and up to now is the global headquarters of the German Post. And yes, the finisher t-shirt I got for running these 26 miles was yellow. You might not care much about the German Post, but you really should. The German Post was privatized in 1995. In fact, the Warden alumnus, Klaus Zumwinkel, longtime CEO of the company, had a lot to do with that privatization. Today, the German Post is not only privatized, but it is the biggest logistics enterprise in the world, now known as Deutsche Post DHL. Over 500,000 employees, $60 billion in revenue, it is a logistics powerhouse. Now, in times of e-commerce and global supply chains, shipping and logistics have little to do with that yellow bicycle that brought the mail back in the 1970s. And new trends such as platform transportation, AI, big data, and autonomous driving are changing the industry as we speak. So shipping and logistics is the topic of my show today. I will be talking to two great guests. Uh, Greg Hewitt is the CEO of DHL Express. Uh, and in the second half of the show, I want to welcome Bob Farrell, the CEO of Global Trends. At this point, welcome, Greg.
0: Yes. Hello, Christian. Thank you for welcoming me and a great introduction uh, to your history with Deutsche Post and now DP DPDHL that I work for.
1: Well, wait till you see the turn I'm about to do uh, asking my first question. Have you ever been riding on a Deutsche Post yellow bicycle?
0: Been on a Deutsche Post yellow bicycle, although I did six months in Bonn uh, and fondly remember it back in 2010.
1: I'm not sure how many bicycles the Deutsche Post says, but DHL Express alone has some 250 airplanes. Uh, give us a sense yeah. of the scale of your delivery operations in terms of the the vehicles, the airplanes, the employees. What's the scale of your operations?
0: I think uh, I think the best way to to look at it here in the U.S. Um, and I'll focus there uh, versus overall. Uh, we've got here in the U.S. as you mentioned uh, just over it's somewhere between 210 and 250 segments each day uh, that we are sending aircraft across the U.S. that's facilitating the pickup and the delivery of international uh, bound shipments, ones that are that we're exporting out of the U.S. for delivery around the globe, or ones that are coming into us for delivery every day. And those are being handled by the more than 10,000 certified international specialists. That's the people in the U.S. that are either working in our Our super hub in Cincinnati, uh, working in our our big gateways in markets like L.A., New York, Chicago, and Miami, or working in the more than 105 pickup and delivery centers that we've got across the U.S. All of them are working towards either delivering international goods to businesses or people uh, here in the U.S. or focused on picking stuff up and getting it outbound. Uh, to an international market somewhere around the globe.
1: Talk about all the different products and services that you at at DHL Express offer to us consumer clients, but also to -to business-to-business settings.
0: I think uh, we like to keep it simple, Christian, and what we focused on is really our time-definite international product, Uh, and that is recognizing that we want to pick up and move product as fast as possible To markets around the globe some of those markets canada for instance would be an overnight point while most of the rest of the world uh, gets service between two and three days and if if you think of it from an operational perspective one of the images i like to give customers is think of uh, our large uh, aircraft that are taking off from leipzig germany hong kong and cvg and here in the u.s And they're constantly in rotation, connecting a network globally around the world in as short a time as possible. Now, on top of that, of course, we've got value-added things like premiums for insurance and and the ability to uh, dictate how payment of duties and taxes and such would would go in. But our core service is simply time-definite, and it's uh, as fast as possible on the international front.
1: So speaking of time-definite international shipments, my, my mother, who uh, lives in Germany and loves me dearly, is routinely sending me chocolate and cookies, especially when the, the holiday season arrives. So walk me through that process from your end, from the shipment in Recklinghausen, Germany, some Spekulatios, which are very special German Christmas cookies, are put in the, in the, into a box from the time that they arrive in Winwood, uh, Pennsylvania, where I live. Uh, what, what, okay. what does the process look like?
0: Well, I think the first thing is they would be picked up by one of our express um, couriers, either in a van or could be, as you said, in one of our go green uh, uh, cycles in, in Germany, depending on the location, and brought back to our sortation facility. And in that facility, because um, your mother isn't a known business shipper, one of the important things we do is we'd have to inspect that shipment. So it would be open reviewed. The contents would be validated to make sure that they could safely be sent on our uh, on our network. And then from there, those uh, those sh- that shipment your gift would move on to Leipzig from the station to Leipzig, the main hub. And then from Leipzig, it would uh, travel over to Cincinnati, o- Ohio, uh, where we would uh, sort it through our super hub, and it would be put on an aircraft. I don't know the Pennsylvania geography. uh,
1: It's close to Philadelphia.
0: Close to Philly. I was going to say it would likely go on a plane that would fly to Philadelphia where it would be brought into one of our facilities there, uh, would move through the morning sort. And that would be about two business days uh, into just outside the Philly market. Uh, And in from that, it would go on to one of our couriers who would bring it to your house. Now, along the way, what you'd also get is it's not just the physical shipment that's that's moving through our network, but you'd have information flowing. So you'd get checkpoint information in the, pardon me, in each of the stops where you'd be able to see that where your package was en route. It would pick up a clearance uh, event when it goes through Cincinnati. We'd have a team there, and because it involves cookies, it would likely require it might get stopped because sometimes. Uh, uh, food and Drug wants to make sure that any consumables that are coming in are, are, are obviously disease-free and able to be cleared. So depending on the uh, on the item, it might get held there for U.S. Customs to work with our team to clear it and allow it to, to move. But you would see that in our scans. And then as it arrived um, and was going out for delivery, our on-demand delivery tool would start to send you updates, Christian, that would allow you if you were going to be in studio and not at home, to start to control that delivery and tell us maybe to deliver to a neighbor, maybe to hold it at one of our facilities where we're out by the airport there in Philadelphia, or you might say, I'll be home later and give us a delivery window that you want us to deliver to. All of that would be your ability to give us information about when you'd be home so that we could drive to get that first delivery uh, right first time for you. So that's that's kind of how things would move, and realistically, uh, no reason why it wouldn't be two, maybe three business days, depending on the the food item that's getting cleared.
1: So my producer here, Matt Dads, gives me the thumbs up. So he, he wants the cookies uh, shipped to the studio in the future, uh, just to be <laughs> there. You uh, go. That was clear be one of, of option So how much? Uh, I mean, it's, it's you, you have a Greg, you you have a fascinating business, and I think it's this complexity and the orchestration of so many resources, people that that really makes this uh a, a, just a, a beautiful piece of a business process um how how much labor is there involved if you would basically as a thought experiment, everybody there would be a little kind of stopwatch on on that package, and everybody would clock in the time that they have worked on that package. Not necessarily the pilot of the the plane, but uh, the the okay. people who, who physically touch the the product, the box. Uh, how how much labor is in in that transaction that you just uh, Greg described to us so 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 vividly?
0: It would be it would be um, a very high percentage, I would say, in terms of time but the hard part would be do you take the pilot out as you said, yeah in, that's in the a sharing flight, fixed costs, you yeah. take the courier out who's driving the vehicle but i think if you look at it it certainly we, we've got um two major cost buckets from a from a p l standpoint right the two biggest and in and our biggest costs are in our direct costs they would be in our aviation department because aircraft are expensive to fly them are expensive so it's a major cost bucket for us. But then the other is the labour. And that would include the, the the cost of the vehicles and the infrastructure for our people to do the deliveries, um, which play a big part in it. But if you think about it, you'd have the courier who's picking it up. You'd have people on the other end that are doing that security inspection and, and doing the manifesting. So making sure all the right information is in our system to clear it in the U.S. They'd be loading it into... ULDs and air air cans when they would be loading those onto trucks, which would then or planes, depending on the location that would fly. You'd have ground handling people that would move those ULDs into the gateways or hubs, sort the packages again and and move them through. It all the way along there are touch points, including the information that's manifested and goes up. There are people in Cincinnati for me who are looking at that data, scrubbing it doing the informal and formal entries to make sure that all those goods can clear with more than 90% of them uh, cleared on a r- before they even land, there are touch points of people all the way through it. So to me, when I look at our, our business, historically I think of two things. There is the big yellow machine, which is the physical infrastructure, the buildings, the hubs, the aircraft, the vehicles, the backups, the systems that support our standard operating processes that support our clearance capabilities in all of those, those countries. And then you've got those, I spoke of for me, my 10,000, and I think it's a little over a hundred thousand globally certified international specialists, which are the people that we commit and develop and teach the language of international, the language of global trade who are there to help make sure that their piece of the process is done accurately so that we've got the best chance to, to deliver on our promise for our, our customers. And I, I think if I look historically, it was the two, and I love uh, the focus of your show because I think the piece that's coming in that's the third component that that is playing a bigger and bigger role is the role of uh, automation, the role of technology, the role of innovation in this, in this uh, uh, under digitalization is what is the role that technology is playing that's allowing us to keep uh, the business moving faster and more efficient, more effective, and give more information uh, to you, the consumer, or to the business that's uh, that's entrusted their packages to us. So I think that's the area where we're growing, we're developing, and things are changing. Uh, uh, whereas I think the people that we, we've invested, we know the right training and development, we've got the infrastructures, uh, that, although that's changing with the Go Green um, requirements, but, uh, but innovation and technology are playing a bigger and bigger role in our business.
1: Uh, You're kind of heading exactly where I wanted to head, but I, I need to do one thing where I didn't do my homework correctly. You mentioned your P&L. Uh, give us a sense of kind of on, on the P&L labor is, is like what, is it 45%, 50%? Uh,
0: We don't usually disclose all of those, but I would say that would be I think what would be fair to say is that our direct costs, which would include um, aviation, our uh, our uh, aviation, our cost of our direct operations, which is both our personnel and the costs associated with the buildings, vehicles and that you would be in the right range to say up and around the 60 percent range.
1: That would include the fuel then. Yeah. Okay, so 60%. And from there, so if you think about, like, uh, there's a spread between the really the, – the, the, the real direct labor in the sense of – if, if that package does not deliver it, uh, today, my mom does not send me those cookies – that that work would not be done versus you might be saying some some truck or some 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 warehouse or some plane mm. might be utilized anyway. Um, how is that broken up in in in, in the, the the very direct work and, uh, the, and the kind of the management of the, of the pipes that are kind of flowing and need to be supported anyway?
0: Well, I mean, I, I we wouldn't break our PNL out quite. Tonight, yeah, fair fair enough. Fair. Or, or share I mean, certainly within. Within our direct cost bucket, we would have a separate bucket for our aviation, Mm -hmm. and then we would have a a bucket under direct, which would include um, the operations management, uh, the clearance and gateway capabilities, uh, the pickup and delivery operations, and that would be broken into uh, what I I would say are costs that are associated. I would say the labor costs would be a component and, and broken out there, and the cost of the infrastructure, whether that was depreciation, lease commitments, all of those would be broken out. But the, the specifics, we haven't—I don't think I've ever really looked at as a as a stat the exact percentage that labor plays versus some of those some of those other uh, costs. We tend to look at it in a bundled versus the indirect expense, which is more the support mechanisms, and we try to keep that uh, that down as well.
1: In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tavish, and I'm chatting with Greg Ewart, the CEO of DHL Express, which is part of the Deutsche Post. Now, we're talking about operational details such as labor and cost structures and Uh, I really didn't want to expose kind of too much of your cost structure here, Greg. I wanted to use it as a segue to size the pie or kind of get a sense of the opportunity in terms of productivity improvement. If we now talk about Mm -hmm. that innovation, if we now talk about that automation, that is happening at any part along the way, right? I mean, in the sense of Trucks in fifteen twenty years might be driving autonomously, but right now I think the, the the probably the lowest hanging fruits in automation are a lot of the the handling in the in the transshipment centers uh, in 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 in, the, in those super hubs. Uh, can you can you give us a sense of what's happening there right now?
0: Yeah, maybe I'll break it down into a into a few buckets. And and I think uh, you're right, Christian, that some of them are more evolved than others and and are almost ready to go. So at its simplest form, we've certainly put significant investment in Cincinnati, and now I'm doing this in JFK, at, at putting in more automated sortation equipment. Mm-hmm. That means you can reduce uh, labor in the handling of packages that would have to be done manually. So we are retrofitting and, and, and investing in our gateways and our hubs to provide a more automated experience. And I think that technology is well-advanced, it's, it's understood, and it really does come down, as you suggested, into our ability to look at what is the flow-through that we want for that facility, what's the investment or cost per piece that we've got today, what's the investment in the, uh, in the technology, what will that depreciation add in terms of cost, and what are we able to do in throughput? Are we able to reduce and, and improve our cost per piece? I think we found that in a number of cases... Yes, that's the case. Yes, we're doing that. Yes, we're making those investments. I think um, the the next place that we've seen some great opportunity is in the area of robotic process automation RPA. In that we've looked at in areas like finance and billing, our billing center, our uh, clearance uh, processes, and soon in customer service. That there are a number of Um, uh, activities that we do every day, that we have people doing every day, that we would characterize as um, non-value added. They might be a little bit mundane. They're not things that require the skills and the capabilities that the human brain has. So for us, it's leveraging RPA to work in a 24-hour cycle, cleansing, cleaning, cleaning, Doing routine work that is then, A, at times more accurate, B, can run without a break 24-7 and frees up our resources to work on real problems and real issues in in one of those three areas that adds value to our customer, right? So I think we're seeing a big opportunity in challenging all of our, our routine processes to see and some of the robots can, can challenge them.
1: So you mentioned you mentioned that so the the benefits are I mean it boosts your efficiency but it's also basically it's in this 24 hours no breaks potentially higher cadence that means faster response time for for us as customers and higher sorting accuracy right?
0: And and better accuracy because people do make mistakes but once you train the computer if it is truly a set process that can be followed again and again and again. Uh, they tend to do it with with greater skill and with less uh, less issues. So we've seen the the first successes in our our billing center, um, and now uh, in our clearance area, we're expanding those out. I think that will continue. And I think when you think of some of the challenges we will likely face in terms of human capital as we continue to grow, um, a- allowing our people to work on the things that we need their brain and their capability is going to be one of our keys to success. I think the the place we're going next, which is a little bit of, of um, our one that's in place today and we're leveraging is big data and machine learning. We're using those a lot on uh, for fraud and to reduce fraud. So really looking at um, a number of different pieces of data to determine, is this where someone Uh, to make sure that we reduce account fraud data, protect our customers, protect our our revenues uh, and reduce our costs. Again, we're looking at different variables on a logarithm that allows us to say, does this logically look like the customer I'm expecting to ship? If not, how do I intervene or hold or stop the process till I can validate? Um, I say that's fairly well developed and um, again, it, it's helping us ensure the security of our, our clients' goods, the ins- uh, ensure the security of their accounts, uh, and reduce our bad debt. And then, I guess the other big area for me that that we're just at the start of is really around artificial intelligence. And, and for us, we're we are working with chat bots and voice bots and virtual assistance to to help provide more information faster to uh, our our consumers who want to deal digitally and, and do so quickly and I, I think combined with machine learning what we're doing is tr- we see by the by the end of 2019 every one of our facilities across every region around the world will be able to apply kind of Big data machine learning technology to enable true proactive real time visibility of 100% of all of our customers' shipments. And when overlaid with AI and, and, and an understanding by the chatbots and voice bots of what the next step in our system is, particularly when you have a challenge or an issue like a customs hold, we're going to be able to give better, more complete information in real time to all consumers uh and all of our customers and i think that's that enhanced quality that that the scale of the number of scans the number of possible outcomes when when an uh when uh, an event occurs without the the help of the machine learning and ai we can't handle all of that data right and so we're we're tied into being Somewhat reactive when you, the pinch point being the person on the phone and and we see that really moving forward as a as a big opportunity. I think the other uh, for us is you look at some of the technologies um, that are being leveraged by companies like uh, or or applications like Waze. If you look at some of the things you can see when you order an Uber or Lyft to to, tr- to track your your courier. We're looking at or track your driver. We're looking at route optimization software and are in, in our implementation that should allow us to have the optimal service center setups to make sure that customers get their packages at the most optimal time, and that, that is uh, that that is kept up to speed in real time and and is dynamic if changes occur either in the request for delivery or an ad hoc request for pickup or change, um, the, the routes will be able to dynamically do that. It takes away, if you think about it, it will give more information to our customers, increase visibility, and most and most importantly, it will also allow us, as we scale and grow, to put couriers on the road faster because it's less reliant on their uh, our, our system today, which largely, in some ways, relies on the knowledge and experience that a courier has in uh, in a given area, now someone will be able to move into one of those areas and by following the route, do it in the most optimal uh, way, which should speed up our ability to onboard um, new couriers as we grow.
1: So that's really interesting that these new consumer-facing companies like Uber or Lyft apparently can teach like an established incumbent after all the biggest logistics company in the world uh, they, they, they they brought some new tricks to the industry right
0: yeah that's the idea is that technology is changing the way we do business and the good news is are it's amazing um, because we've got veteran uh, veteran couriers who some of them have more than 30 30 plus years of experience in a market, it's a great sanity test for the technology to have them go against it and test the the logic to test the application to test whether the technology can match their intuition and, and our early signs are, yes, there are still times where local knowledge and understanding is valuable, it's still good to have people who could go off the route if they experience something in real time. But most of them are saying, you know what, the application now really does flex and move with t- traffic patterns, um, with closures, with issues. And even veterans are saying, you know what, I would benefit from this. Because in fairness, if there is an issue on a route that I would normally route that I would travel, I don't know that in real time. And this sounds like it's uh, it's able to work. So I think uh, overall, we're embracing Um, uh, technology to improve our infrastructure to be more efficient, more effective, to provide greater visibility um, and, and more information to our customers. I think that's the internal focus on our processes. I think the other side with digitalization is more and more companies and in particular, more and more businesses are taking to the web as their medium for sales. So the idea of the e-tailer or, 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 and, and e-commerce is booming. And with that, uh, they are a- expecting and working on a number of platforms, a number of marketplaces, a number of enablers. Uh, and there is a, a rush of new vendors that have come into the market that are there to help small and mid and large-sized businesses capitalize on global trade. And I think what we're doing is making sure that we are flexible, um, that we are investing in things like XMLPI and our our APIs and our platforms so that we can integrate and work across a broad spectrum of platforms that are developing in e-commerce so that we're there to be uh, kind of the network in um, the infrastructure and the final mile, uh, regardless of choice of uh, marketplace or enabler, we want to be flexible and help those businesses do well.
1: That sounds awesome. Thank you so much, Quick Hewitt, for a wonderful uh, outlook on the shipping industry. And it looks like my cookies are going to be safe and well on the way in December again. We need to take a short break right now. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow. I'm Christian Tevish, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Series XM. We'll be right back.